You are listening to The Concierge on Monocle Radio. Coming up on today's programme, we speak to the concierge at a stone-cold, Sloan-cool London classic. From Oaxaca to Cape Cod, we put your questions to our concierge service. We swan off to sunny Sicily. Leaving behind Etna, I move north to the Aeolian Islands, a volcanic archipelago whose scenery makes a lasting impression on travellers. No less a professional than a general manager of the Eden Rock St. Bart's is subject to our travel interrogator, and we get a postcard from Bratislava. The statue's name is Trumil. It is certainly an unusual work of public art, but not, in Bratislava, unique. Local authorities began populating the old town with them in the immediate post-communist years. That's all to come on The Concierge in association with Allianz Partners. Welcome to The Concierge on Monocle Radio with me, Robert Bound. And today we start close to home with another legend of the concierge game. Here in London, I'm joined by Toru Machida, head concierge at the Cadogan Hotel in London. And he is also president of the Society of the Golden Keys of Great Britain and the Commonwealth. Concierge E. Yokoso Machida-san. Lovely to have you here. Good afternoon. Thank you so much for having me. It's a great pleasure. It's wonderful to have you in person in the studio. And I should let a little bit of daylight in upon magic and let our listeners know that Machida-san is the very picture of the concierge that you would want administering to your every need. If you were indeed staying at the Cadogan Mm -hmm. or a similarly lovely hotel, the red velvet jacket, bow tie and those all-important golden keys on the upper lapel. First things first, Toru, what for you are your kind of favourite parts of the hotel that you're now part of at the Cadogan? It's a storied place. It's in a beautiful, rich part of London. But what are your favourite bits? So the history of the Cadogan is definitely the charm of the hotel. It is one of the oldest hotels in London, which opened in 1877. And it's famous story that Oscar Wilde got arrested in 1895. <laughs> he was a little bit naughty. And also a British actress, Lily Langtree, she was a resident guest in the hotel. And she used to have an affair with um, a Prince of Wales, a son of Queen Victoria, who then became King Edward VII. So the future king of the country used to come through our back door and sneak to her bedroom. So that's quite an interesting history that we have. We're in a moment at the moment in London, Toru, where it is a little bit changeable in terms of the weather. So many things are predicated on great weather. Anything could be great. You know, you can recommend that people go for a picnic in Cadogan Square, perhaps mm-hmm. in Cadogan Gardens or, great. you know, St. James's or Green Park, which are very much on your doorstep as mm-hmm. well, I suppose. Not too far away, Hyde Park. What happens when it's raining? Do you have a couple of things always up your velvet sleeve mm-hmm. that, you know, are kind of fail-safe great things? Maybe they're a small museum. Maybe they are a fail-safe restaurant for a cosy mm-hmm. supper on a rainy day without wanting to absolutely absolutely rage your little black book, although that is part of our interest on this programme. <laughs> what are some of your kind of go-to places when the weather is a little bit inclement? So we have one of the most amazing museums in the world, a Victoria Albert Museum in our neighbourhood, with billions of items on display. It's all indoor and you can easily spend all day. So that's one good place to avoid rain. <laughs> but we also have a British Pullman. Alongside the famous Venice Simplon Orient Express, we also have a British Pullman, which is another luxury train operated by Belmont. 
which gives a day trip in the beautiful countryside of England. Yes, some of the trip takes you to a destination where you get off the train, but some of the journey is round trip, which you either have lunch, afternoon tea, or dinner on board. So you don't even need to get off the train and you just enjoy the fabulous catering on the luxury train. Where the queen, the queen's mother, Nelson Mandela once traveled on. It's an amazing experience. I love the sound of that.、Mm-hmm. I like the sound of not having to get off slightly, <laughs> I have to say. <laughs> And then just getting delivered back to the Kadogan, just in time for a cocktail. Exactly, yes. We have a nice <laughs> spicy margarita. Okay, nice. I'm glad we know what Mishida's son does when he, when he finally kicks off that, that <laughs> velvet jacket at the end of the day. And just one last one for、mm-hmm. you, Toru. Say I am notionally the Prince of Wales and、mm-hmm. I'm staying at the Cadogan, and my Lily Langtree wanted to come and visit me.、Mm-hmm. What would be the best course of action so that she could come to my room without any of the press knowing?、Mm-hmm. How would we organize this? Okay, I cannot <laughs> mention those secrets.、Uh, something I sometimes do, but I won't talk about guest privacy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no, we're not scaling down any drain pipes or、mm-hmm. up any secret ladders <laughs> on today's edition of the Concierge.、Mm-hmm. Toru Machida, thank you so much for joining us and telling us about yourself, but mostly about those wonderful four walls at the Kadogan Hotel. Thank、right. you. Thank you so much for having me. And now to our very own Little Black Book, that part of the programme where we look to our own correspondents all over the globe to answer your questions. The concierge desk is open for business. And first up, we are going on the line to Vermont to speak to Lydia Brown. Lydia, thank you for calling into the concierge. Lovely to have you. Thanks for having me. You sound as clear as a bell. Or any other musical instrument might apply. Now, I know this. I'm not going to pretend that I can get this from an accent or any of the rest of it. You're from New York, but you're spending the summer,、uh, you spend every summer in Vermont. For why? That's correct. I play, I'm a pianist at the Marlboro Music Festival. I've been here for many years, and it's a wonderful place to spend the summer. I'm here from the end of June through the end of August. Sounds great. So your fingers are flexible in that warm Vermont summer, is what we're yeah, imagining. Yeah, you know, and actually, we've been quite lucky that it's, you know, with the heat waves that have been hitting the US, Vermont has been the only place we have barely gotten above 75 degrees for the entire summer. So I actually think, you know, with impending climate change, Vermont's going to become even more of a tourist destination than it has been. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yes, keep that date in the diary at the Marlboro Music Festival then. And you're off to Mexico, but maybe for our editor down in Mexico, you can read your question out for the concierge listeners. Sure. My husband and I are visiting Oaxaca in January. And we're going for the first time, and we would love recommendations on restaurants and bars and things to do while we're there. Perfect. Well, that sounds good and general. Oaxaca in New Year sounds like a great place to bring in 2024.、Mm-hmm. So, with the lowdown, we have Rosie Bell, who's a freelance writer and editor, and she is based in Oaxaca. You're going to Oaxaca. Lucky you. Oaxaca is an exceptionally vibrant, colorful, and delicious city. It was the capital of the Zapotec civilization, and it's the epicenter of the state of Oaxaca, which is known as Mexico's primary mezcal producing region. There are so many captivating restaurants, bars, and tasting rooms in the city to sample this agave distillate. Some firm favorites are La Mezcalerita, La Popular, and El Destilado. You can also sip your way around the city on a mezcal tour with the likes of Mezcouting. 
To dive into the food scene, it would be prudent to look to renowned foodie Omar Alonso, who is something of a local celebrity. He runs the popular Instagram account Wahacking and a delectable food tour of the same name that you can book in advance on wahacking.com. You might have seen him devouring cheese and saucy tortillas on the Netflix show Somebody Feed Phil and on CNN's Eva Longoria Searching for Mexico. Street food is king in Oaxaca, and you'll call at some locally loved stalls as well as bustling markets during the tour. Oaxaca's Benito Juarez Market has a cornucopia of flavors for you to try, but if a sit-down restaurant is more your speed, dine at Restaurante Casa Oaxaca, La Cocina de Humo, or Restaurant Tierra del Sol for a famous mole. To rest your head, stay downtown at Casa Abuela Maria, Hotel Escondido Oaxaca, or Hotel Pug Seal Oaxaca, which are all gorgeous boutique properties. January is one of the coolest months, so have a sweater or long sleeves for evenings. Your daytime outdoor adventures should absolutely include visiting Monte Alban, which is a pre-Columbian city with massive plazas and pyramids. Be sure to plan an escape to one of the celebrated beach towns in the state of Oaxaca as well. Mazunte has been earmarked as a magic town by the Mexican government, and Puerto Escondido is big with big wave-loving surfers. An unforgettable off-the-beaten-track experience is Hierve el Agua, which is around two hours outside of Oaxaca City. This stunning natural wonder features petrified waterfall-like formations that create mineral-rich infinity pools with breathtaking views of the Oaxacan landscape. And that was Rosie Bell, fresh, very fresh, from Oaxaca there, Lydia. That sounded like it uh, could have floated your Oaxaca boat. Definitely. Thank you so much. I was aware of only a few of those restaurants and bars, so I'm really, I learned a lot here. Thank you. Well, I hope also you have a stout constitution when it comes to um, punningly named businesses in Oaxaca, what with miscouting and wahacking. Yeah, Are you actually, okay with that? Or do you feel like we both need to go and wash our faces slightly after? No, well, you know, puns? I'm actually very glad to hear those terms. I think those are the first time I, it was the first time I'd heard those terms. I thought I must remember them before the trip. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they're sticking in my memory. I, I like it a lot. Well, thanks to Rosie Bell and thank you very much. We wish you a bon voyage to you and your you. family, Lydia, and have a wonderful new year in Oaxaca, wherever you happen thank to be so wahacking. Thank you very much. <laughs> And next on the line, we have Christine Coyle in Cape Cod. Christine, welcome to the concierge. Is it vacation weather in Cape Cod? Absolutely. It's just perfect here. Sunny and warm and breezy. Nice. Uh, Can't ask for better. It's a little different than Glasgow, Scotland. Which is where you're summering in Cape Cod, but it's where you wisely or unwisely winter then, I presume. (laughs) That's it. Yeah. (laughs) And it's winter all year long, it seems like sometimes, but... Sometimes it is. Uh, That's a little harsh. I I love it there. (laughs) Nice. A lot of people will be ringing from Glasgow to ask us what to do in Cape Cod, but I'm glad that this is, if not the other way around, then you are at least taking a vacation. So what would you like to know from our concierge service, Christine, and where are you going? Well, a group of friends of ours, I'm trying to plan a gathering of wine enthusiasts, a group of friends for a long weekend in California in possibly late summer, actually right now we're looking at maybe early spring. There's a group of eight of us, four couples who met more than 20 years ago. We were all living in a small college town in uh, Colorado in the US. And we're looking for, you know, something like maybe some tours, a nice place to stay, places to eat, a nice town maybe to visit and that kind of thing. 
And so we were, uh, I was looking for any kind of recommendations. I've, I don't know, unwisely offered to collect some information. So I'm looking for recommendations <laughs> for our wine club reunion. Sounds wonderful. And I'm glad we have such a sort of alcohol theme to both our listeners' questions this year. Our first caller caller is going to sound, I don't know how much Mezcal is on her itinerary from our correspondent in Oaxaca, but it's going to be it's going to be fun. Um, Anyway, (laughs) who better placed, uh, Christine, to answer your question than Monocle's North American editor? And here's Chris Lord. The record rains that fell on California this winter mean that you and your old friends have picked the perfect year to sample some of the local grape. Napa, of course, has no shortage of well-trodden tours and terroir, but our tip would be to make time for the Donham Estate in Sonoma. It specialises in Pinot Noir and can be taken in along with the extraordinary and growing sculpture collection. Just north of wine country and the Thatcher Hotel is a well-appointed base to explore the wilder coast around Mendocino County. But in late summer, Napa is going to be packed so can I suggest you consider the US's newest designated wine country. San Luis Obispo is in central California. It's close to the Pacific, which keeps temperatures a little cooler and makes for a verdant spot perfect for Albarino with a very long wine-growing season. Tangents and Chroma Vera are among the 30 local labels, while Chamasal is a favourite in the Edna Valley. The vines of Spanish Springs sit just a mile or so from the ocean. And in downtown SLO, the restaurant Park 1039 has an excellent seasonal menu tuned to the local harvest. But for somewhere to stay, I'd look a little south, to the Inn at Mate's Tavern, a new outpost by Auberge that opened earlier this year. It has brought fresh life to an old bolt hole that's close to Santa Inez's own small, but certainly lively, line scene. And that was Chris Lord with advice for Christine Coyle in Cape Cod. Christine, how did that sound? Chris definitely sounds like he waited a day or two until after he'd done all those tastings to write his script. That was rather nice, wasn't it? (laughs) That was probably smart. (laughs) That sounds great because I think one of the pushbacks from one of the couples in the group was like, well, Napa is just so overrun. You know, maybe Mm. we should look to find somewhere a little bit off the beaten path. Somebody recommended, I think it's Tecumsela. They also have some wine growing down there, but San Luis Obispo, definitely. So whether you're off late summer or early next spring, we wish you bon voyage and thank you very much for tuning in to The Concierge. My thanks to our concierge service and behind the desk today were Rosie Bell and Chris Lord. And if you have a question, please do write to us at concierge at monocle.com. Next up, Sicily. Just like the Monocle team, Allianz Partners is committed to helping you build exceptional experiences. Allianz Partners' reputation for excellence and the continuous drive to innovate means the business is uniquely equipped to accompany its partners and customers with their ever-changing travel needs. So get out there and visit the places, enjoy the experiences and meet the people changing the world of hospitality for the better. Allianz Partners. Get the most out of your experience with peace of mind. Off we go then to sunny Sicily to explore some of the region's most rugged and exotic landscapes formed by long ago volcanic 
activity. Although, as we know, those craters still like to spit and puff a bit. Around Mount Etna, which today is prized for its wines, and on the island of Salina, hotels are attracting travellers in search of breathtaking scenery and great food sourced from local ingredients. Monocle correspondent Ivan Carvalho visited several properties overlooking the Med and brought us this delicious report. The allure of Sicily begins with its scenic vistas and sun-kissed lands, never too far from the sea. The island's most dramatic backdrop is Mount Etna, Europe's tallest and most active volcano. It's here, on the mountain's eastern slopes, where the Malgeri family make wine from the local white grapes Caracante and Catarato, and where guests enjoy warm Sicilian hospitality at the family's Zash Country Boutique Hotel by the sea. Jay Akali is a manager at Zash. The beating heart of Zash is the ancient Palmento, the old vinification room which dates back to the 18th century. Historically, the core of the production of Etna winemaker. Today, there's our Michelin star restaurant. This is a cozy and friendly restaurant. We choose to arrange the restaurant inside the Palmento for maintain the old feature and also the, the old atmosphere of Sicilian country. Zash's tastefully renovated palmento, a structure typical of the region and once used to house the traditional wine presses, is one example of enterprising locals converting old palmento buildings into hospitality projects. While Zash has created a chic property immersed in a citrus grove, others around Etna use the ancient stone buildings as tasting rooms adjacent to modern wineries. On Etna's northern slopes, one finds a host of promising wineries, from Girolamo Russo and Graci to Pietro Dolce, whose sleek-looking facility complete with modern art is nestled among ancient vineyards. Pietro Dolce is part of the wine renaissance on Etna. Owner Michele Faro takes me on a tour of the property. After testing our wines from Mount Etna and uh, after having visited our winery you can enjoy a visit of our very old prefiloxera vineyards on Mount Etna at the elevation of about 900 meters above sea level. It's very old vines. Now here we only have Norello Mascalese as the grape and this is actually young soil because there have been eruptions going on so this is fresh let's say younger soil here that we're, we're walking on. Yes, sadly, we continue to have eruption on Mount Etna, luckily not in this area, because uh, otherwise uh, the, the, the vineyards will be destroyed, but it's a relatively young soil. And from one area to another area of Mount Etna, you have different minerality in the soil, given by different lava flows. And that's the research we try to do, to identify different wine from different micro-terroirs. Leaving behind Etna, I moved north to the Aeolian Islands, a volcanic archipelago whose scenery makes a lasting impression on travelers. On the island of Salina, famous around the world as the backdrop to the 1994 film Il Postino, I pay a call first to the family-run Hotel Ravesi, which is perched high above the sea. Poolside, I speak with Lorenzo Siracusano, one of the family members behind Hotel Ravesi, about island sightseeing. Our guests, they can explore the island with our Gozzo. Gozzo is one of the uh, old typical boats from the Olean Islands. They can explore the island with a tour 
of the island with gods from the morning until sunset. One of the most beautiful experiences is to spend the sunset time in the Baia of Pollara, in the Pollara Bay, that is one of the most beautiful spots in Salina. Thanks to fertile volcanic soils, Salina enjoys lush vegetation that supplies a bounty of ingredients. Lorenzo Sirucuzano of Hotel Ravesi. The garden with the fruits of orange and grapefruit that the, in winter time we prepare the marmalade for the breakfast. So Lorenzo, in the summertime, what can your guests enjoy when they're having a, a meal, say at lunch? At lunch, for I think one of the most favorite dishes is a salad. We use local products and one of the most important is the caper and the cucunci. The caper is famous. The cucunci is the fruit of the caper that we use and we put inside our salad that is very delicious. From Hotel Ravesi, I journeyed to Capofaro, a hotel set on an isolated plot on the cliffs above the water, where an old lighthouse is surrounded by vineyards and guest rooms managed by the Sicilian winery Tasca da Marita. Antonella Pugliesi, general manager at Capofaro. Here we are, sitting in the clubhouse of Capofaro. Capofaro is a relationship property. The name Capofaro comes from the lighthouse that's on our property. It's an old, still operational lighthouse where our guests can, can actually live the experience of a lighthouse guardian in one of the five rooms. The rest of the rooms are spread across the, the estate and there we can enjoy the, the view of other two islands, Panara and Stromboli. We are immersed in almost five hectares of vineyard. The grape here, typical of Salina, is Malvasia delle Lipari. One of the top experiences we offer our guests is the wine tasting, with a full story told by our sommelier or our agronomist. Mother Nature's work, via volcanic activity, has left behind an impressive legacy, both on Salina and the hills around Etna. Visitors can take in not only incredible sights, but also sample the tastes of a region, which always leaves outsiders eager to return. In Sicily, for Monocle, I'm Ivan Carvalho. That was Ivan Carvalho reporting from Sicily. Thanks, Ivan. Coming up next, we're off to the Caribbean for the Travel Interrogator. We head now to the Eden Rock St. Bart's, one of the best-known hotels in the world and a real luxury retreat on that island in the Caribbean. Built on a rocky outcrop and surrounded by white, sandy beaches and turquoise seas, this 34-room hotel is well-loved for its superb service and for being a bit of a beautiful bolt hole where staff love to create a unique destination for the discerning traveller, who just maybe has seen it all. Monocle's Mary Holland went to meet the general manager and sent us this report. I used to describe Sobots as a resort by itself. So it's not so many destinations in the world like that. It's 24 square kilometers where you can find actually all the outlets that you could find on the resort when you go in the Bahamas, in uh, some mobile places in Turkey and Caicos or wherever, at the size of an hotel resort, you find this at an island resort when you are in Sobots. It's a piece of France in the middle of the Caribbean, which is unique. You've got this urban vibe that you cannot find in any other island in the Caribbean. 
either no silence or sound silence. And by this, it creates a special atmosphere. In the middle of that, we can find Eater Rock, which is the first hotel which has been created on the island in 1953. And we're going to celebrate our 70th anniversary next year. The island actually has been for a long time one of the poorest islands in the Caribbean. In the 50s, a guy named Rémi de Hélène, who was a kind of pirate, actually, he was sailing between the island. He lived between Serbot, Simaltim, and Anguilla. This guy actually was the first one who landed in the 50s on the field where the airport is right now. He bought this place in 53. And he built the main house, which is still on the top of the rock, and now in some accommodation. He built actually the main house, and he started to create actually a kind of guest house. And for some reasons, this guy was close to some, let's say, Russian famous, Urwadiut, Greta Garbo, the Rothschild family, the Rockefeller family. All these people actually used to come to Sobot in this house on the top of the rock, in the 60s, it was the first guest house hotel on the island. And then the Rockefeller family bought a large estate on the west of the island. The Rothschild bought another estate on the east of the island. And everything started like that. And poor New York and Manhattan started to come to some boats to visit this, this island. And everything started like that. So we are a small hotel, 37 units, opened on every single side, in the middle of Saint-Jean. The Remy Bar and the Sun Bar are open for outside guests all day long for breakfast, late breakfast, brunch, lunch, apparel spreads in the afternoon, Negroni for before going for dinner, dinner, and we've got as well all day long a Tichi, which is mastering the music depending on the vibe of the audience. Never too loud, but just the perfect vibe in order to, to create this kind of atmosphere. The other thing in some arts as well is we always have actually, the, many people have the perception that some arts, it's all about partying and dancing on the table. It's not about that. There is so many things to do in some arts. We've got 20 wild beaches on the island where you can swim, where you can lay out. And as an example, we've got Salim, Salim Beach. I love just to walk over there because it's super large. And most of the time when I go in the morning to have my daily walk, daily hike, actually, I'm by myself, I'm alone over there. So you've got many places where you can hike, either on the beach or in the mountains. So it's quite sporty as well. We've got some marvelous spots for diving and for snorkeling. We've got some super spots for surfing, sailing, or you can just be out on the sunbat with your book, with some music all day long. That was Monocle's Mary Holland speaking to Fabrice Moisin. And because we like to mix it up, and this does sound a bit like Monocle Radio call signing, we're going from St. Bart's to Bratislava in just a second.
This summer, Monocle's contributing editor, Andrew Miller, hosted a panel at Globesex Bratislava Forum, one of the world's biggest global strategic conferences. But it wasn't all hard work. Andrew spent some time exploring the capital of Slovakia, and he sent us this dispatch. There is not much about the Soviet Union worth keeping, and no places less keen in general than keeping any of it than the Eastern European countries it once held captive. But there was something kind of sweet about a particular strand of the Soviet Union's state-approved public art, those kitsch yet noble monuments to the largely unheralded folk who do the quotidian yet vital stuff that makes our societies function. The school teachers, post deliverers, street sweepers, miners, welders and combine harvester operatives. In Bratislava, there is a statue honouring the least glamorous municipal employee of all, the sewer worker. Viktor Hulik's bronze sculpture is not actually a relic of the communist decades, it was installed in 1997, but it is a wry arch wink to that aesthetic. You can find it in Bratislava's beautiful Old Town, at the corner of Panska and Lorinska streets. And by find it, I mean, especially if you go looking after dark, trip over it. It depicts only the top half of its subject emerging from a manhole cover and is below knee height. It's extraordinary to me that this obvious hazard to passing pedestrians is just left there. To explain, the old town of Bratislava is entirely pedestrianised. It is foot traffic only, apart from the occasional marauding yahoo on an e-scooter. And this is a hefty bronze statue jutting just out of the corner at an extremely busy intersection. And between its situation and the fact that Bratislava is something of a hub for stag do's, lads weekends and other occasions which are liable to render people somewhat less alert than they might normally be, I would be astonished if this statue has not been responsible for hundreds, if not thousands, of trips to the nearest accident and emergency ward. They have tried to ameliorate the hazard somewhat by erecting a sign, uh, a hazard warning sign, the red triangle with a silhouette of the statue and the caption underneath it, man at work. The statue's name is Chumil. It is certainly an unusual work of public art, but not, in Bratislava, unique. Local authorities began populating the old town with them in the immediate post-communist years. One, by Juraj Melis, recalls a local post-war dandy, Shonanachi. Another, by Tibor Batfe, makes an honorary citizen of Hans Christian Andersen. And in the old town's main square, which is more or less the beau ideal of the central European old town main square, cradled by pretty churches, art deco facades and gaily tiled roofs, or roofs, whichever is correct. It looks like Napoleon leaning on a park bench. It's not quite Napoleon leaning on a park bench. It is in fact a generic French soldier of that period and he recalls the couple of times when Napoleon passed through Bratislava on his way to conquer somewhere or other. Local legend has that this is representative of a French soldier who fell in love with a Bratislavan woman, stayed here and made wine or something. 
but he seems to be generally fondly regarded. As I'm talking to you now, there are a bunch of people having their picture taken with him, and this seems to be pretty much the role he fulfills. He is a prop now for uncountable Instagram posts. This statue is also by Juraj Melis, a Slovak sculptor who was trapped by history for many of his best decades in a situation not necessarily conducive to his avant-garde whims. Much of his work was banned during the 1970s and 1980s. Melis died in 2016 but lived long enough to see his additions to Bratislava's streetscape unveiled. As long as they and Bratislava's other sculptural curiosities are there, they'll do what public art should, cause locals and visitors alike to see a city differently. I hope Bratislava is thinking of commissioning more of them. For Monocle Radio, I'm Andrew Muller. Thanks, Andrew. That was Andrew Muller reporting from beautiful Bratislava. And that is all for today's programme. My thanks to our guests, Toru Machida and Fabrice Moisin. Our producer was Tom Webb, our researcher, Monica Lillis, and our studio manager, Callum McLean. If you have a question for the concierge, please do drop us an email on concierge at monocle.com. Join us next time when we'll be stopping by Lisbon, amongst other summer destinations. For the time being, I've been Robert Bound. Thank you for tuning in and happy travels. Thank you.